Hello, I'm Greg. Let's have an inappropriate conversation about eight years of inappropriate conversations. On March 7th, 2010, the very first of these inappropriate conversations was released on what was then identified as simply one of the many Podbean sites. I've since, you know, picked up www.inappropriateconversations.org and inappropriateconversations.com. But if you listen to the oldest episodes or any of the older episodes of the show, you're going to find a lot of references to the uh, shownamepodbean.com sort of nomenclature. And that's how everything really began, March Eight years ago. A few years ago, 2015, I believe, I took the time in the month of September to take a look back after the 30th question of the Walk the Earth podcast was answered. Walk the Earth and Inappropriate Conversations share a feed at uh, inappropriateconversations.org. And I wasn't sure exactly that I was done with Walk the Earth, and clearly that's true. There'll be 20 more episodes of Walk the Earth before I get to the end of next month. But I wanted to note the milestone of Walk the Earth 30, which I'll probably mention again, just in the process of looking back over the last eight years. But in the midst of doing that, I thought it might make sense to take a quick look back at the history of Walk the Earth. And here I am a few years later, with that many more years under my belt, taking a look back at the entire history of inappropriate conversations. I want to do this, really, because it's an impossible task with more than 200 shows. By picking and choosing certain things to emphasize, using four major themes... Obviously, it doesn't make sense to talk about the uh, Inappropriate Conversations podcast without mentioning different drummers. I also intend to note specific moments where I've shared either poetry or prose in in any one of these years and do these kind of in one-year-at-a-time chunks. The other places I think I want to take advantage of is essays, where maybe the reading isn't from previously written poetry or prose, but it's more of a nonfiction style. And then also for each one of the years, if I can limit myself to just one, naming what for me is a personal highlight or what I've heard from others would be a highlight of that particular year. That March 7th episode was surely recorded before the month of March even, if I were guessing. Test runs, learning how to use a microphone, learning how to edit. But it was released March 7th, meaning that it's almost one year to the day that I'm recording this show, that that first one was put out there. And it was simply... An introduction, just as you often see at the beginning of a podcast. The second episode, a week later, was essentially an introduction to the concept of different drummer, sharing writings that I had originally written going all the way back to high school under the false name, the pseudonym, The Author, capital T, capital A. And then it was really closer to the end of the month, March 20th-ish, before I got to the first formal format that's been the format of the show pretty much ever since. Episode 3 was uh, an episode that was had a specific topic and a different drummer, tried to bring them together, but didn't force the issue too much, and from that point I was off to the races. I had poetry and prose that was shared uh, there in the first you know, little while. Prose in particular, early on, uh, Inappropriate Conversations 5 featured a chapter of a novella that I, I called The Least of These, and number 7, a fable called Bo- Boiling Point. But those are not the things I wanted to highlight and emphasize for the first year of the show. 
I want to jump all the way to episode 22 and begin with The Different Drummer, because The Different Drummer was really a driving force for me to do the show. I don't know that I would have recorded inappropriate conversations if I hadn't had those tie-outs available to me. And although in many ways every single one I've ever named is on some level a favorite of mine, certainly in the area of film direction, when I got to the episode that uh, late that July called Art and the Strange Bedfellows, Luis Manuel, the surrealist director, being the different drummer, was really important for me. And he might have been the first of the directors that I named. Wasn't the first planned director. We'll get to that in a little bit in a different drummer segment that's going to come early in the show for this particular episode. But it was the one that I sort of circled and said, I know I'm going to be serious about sprinkling in movie and film references when I get to Luis Buñuel. From poetry and prose that first year, I've already mentioned a few pieces of prose I'd shared earlier. And maybe episode 20, chapter and verse, might be my favorite poem of the poems that I shared in the first year of Inappropriate Conversations. But I want to cite episode uh, 23, the very next episode after the one where Luis Benuel was a different drummer. This one, Salvador Dali was a different drummer. But the main thing was that I was sharing a particular piece of poetry that had been recently written. I don't know that it had been written during the time that I was recording Inappropriate Conversations podcast, but I'm pretty sure that it was written during the point that I was forming ideas and beginning to do the planning. I called it Laws of Motion, and I used uh, one of my personal points of view, and that's that the concept and physics of Laws of Motion apply reasonably well to interpersonal relationships, too. From an essay perspective that first year, one of the two-part episodes, and there were a number of episodes that might have qualified as being two parts started in one episode and hitting the topic again, maybe from a slightly different angle, an episode later, uh, Inappropriate Conversations numbers 6 and 7 looked at politics that way, uh, numbers 20 and 21 looked at religion, of course key to the themes of the show are the interconnections between politics, religion, and popular culture. Popular culture being the two I just cited, episodes 22 and 23, looking at surrealism and other forms of controversial art. But in episodes 29 and 30, I literally did, for the first time, begin a a topic in one episode that really wasn't quite complete until I picked it up with the episode after it. It was an essay that I actually split up, hitting a certain introductory point, stopping, and then coming back with episode 30. So I've cited both in appropriate conversations, 29 and 30 from that late September, early October, beginning of the school year, time of year, to talk about prayer in school as a concept. Finally, for the first year of Inappropriate Conversations, the highlight for me, if I had to pick one, and it's kind of hard to make that choice to pick one, but the last episode recorded in calendar year 2010 was called Gone But Not Forgotten, very near New Year's Eve, and it was a look back at um, my, my emotions, my response, my relationship with my sister who had died, and the different drummer for that episode was Tony Pucci, somebody who knew well the experience of having a dear sister who had died. But as far as different drummers go in this first year, there's a different drummer that's missing from this list. So this is the format I'm going to use for an eight-year look back. There's seven more years, give or take, of this approach of picking and choosing shows. And part of the reason for that is that 200 episodes can be real daunting, And with SoundCloud, I've made an effort, and I've stalled on this, but I will pick it back up, to, you know, take little audio clips and put sort of uh, hints, but pretty good hints, of what a particular episode was like by excerpting it 
and sharing it on SoundCloud. I can be found there as IC underscore Greg, and there are a good solid hundred of those that are up there already as I continue to move my way forward in time. But the other thing that I think is you know kind of difficult is that with that many shows, maybe it is helpful if the person who actually did the writing and recording, to the degree that there is something written down from time to time, that I take a look back and say, well, where would I pick and choose if I were picking and choosing and only had maybe four or five different shows in any given year based on these general categories of of highlights versus poetry and prose or an essay or the different drummer, where would I go? But as I mentioned, there's a different drummer intended for this very first year who is completely missing from it. And I think that's kind of interesting. In Inappropriate Conversations 9, an overview of the decades, that also not a bad episode to start. Uh, it's a point where the sound quality was still a little shaky as I was learning my way through making, recording, and editing these shows. But content-wise, pretty solid, especially for that first 10 or 12 episodes. But the different drummer for that turned out to be Dee Dee Allen. She might be my favorite uh, film technician in the history of movie as art. She's certainly my favorite film editor. And I was uh, not expecting, uh, I was caught off guard, I guess, by her death. And decided that because I was talking about an overview of the decades, I could work her in right there. And, and what I bumped out of that spot was that rather than hitting Luis Manuel as the first film director, which had been planned for somewhere in the 20s, I took Joel and Ethan Cohen off the list and took them into later in the year. And where they reemerged was, you know, round about, call it November, with Inappropriate Conversations number 37, I think I called it Always Being Happy. And it was raising questions that I would spend many episodes over many years trying to answer for myself regarding gay rights, homosexuality, and other things. And Joel and Ethan Cohen found their way here, partly because they were planned as one of the first ten different drummers, and that didn't happen. And also because I thought that um, having seen the movie The Man Who Wasn't There, it dawned on me that the film depiction of latent homosexuality was so well done and so subtly done that it kind of needed a nod and they might be the right different drummers, especially in light of that one seriously underrated film, to discuss the idea of what do you do with people who claim that there is no such thing as gay or lesbian or bisexual? How do you handle that? And The Man Who Wasn't There as a movie shows us a little bit of what that denial actually can look like without preaching about it, without even really in the text or much of the subtext directly acknowledging it. But here's the problem. That episode from the original design where I'd cast maybe a hundred shows out and sketched out what I thought might happen and when, it had a different drummer that was aligned with it. And that different drummer nod didn't happen as planned in the first year. And it hasn't happened in any year since until now. In some ways, this eight-year look back across the history of the show gives me a chance to correct a wrong and to name Derek Jarman as a different drummer. Starting us off with a Wikipedia note, Michael Derek Elworthy Jarman was an English film director, stage designer, diarist, artist, gardener, and author. He was born in 1942 and died in 1994. We'll talk a bit about his films 
as we go here, because he was going to be a different drummer named particularly for film direction. But it dawns on me that when I go through the process of of labeling this particular episode so that the different drummer can be found in the category index, the right navigation section of the website at inappropriateconversation.org, he's going to show up for lots of reasons. He'll show up as an author. He'll show up as a political thinker, in my opinion, and as a film director. So he's going to be one of those different drummers with lots of different nods for lots of different reasons. But before I get to the movies themselves, I want to talk a little bit about, well, I'm just going to share a little quote from Wikipedia, because I think it stages this conversation pretty well. Jarman was outspoken about homosexuality, his public fight for gay rights, and his personal struggle with AIDS. On December 22, 1986, Jarman was diagnosed as HIV positive and discussed his condition in public. His illness prompted him to move to Prospect Cottage, Dungeness and Kent, near the nuclear power station. In 1994, he died of an AIDS-related illness in London at 52. His fame had stretched far beyond the connection of streets that he had lived on, and so the news of his death circled the world. He was an atheist, and he was buried at St. Clement's Church, Old Romney, Kent. Now, to me, the Wikipedia article here stages things okay, but it doesn't do justice to what, in my opinion, was the bold decision that Jarman made. Again, we're talking about, you know, 1986. This was probably not long after many of us had heard of AIDS for the first time, in the heart of the heart of the country in the United States where I lived, in the buckle of the Bible Belt, this wasn't being discussed widely in the early 1980s. It was coming along in the later 1980s, where it became you know a regular topic of conversation. And to be frank, a lot of the conversations that I was privy to living in states like uh, Oklahoma and Kansas and Missouri uh, were reprehensible conversations with people who were going to church Churches that I went to, in some cases, saying horrific things about um, AIDS being God's will, stuff like that. I think I probably hit on some of those topics way back in the first year of Inappropriate Conversations. But I wanted to hit it here from a different perspective, just to call out that being outspoken between 1986 and the mid-1990s about AIDS was absolutely a brave choice. He, he was making himself a target, and he was doing so because I think he felt, at least in some of the interviews that I've seen uh, online, in YouTube and other places, that there was a great danger of the invisibility of those who were stricken with this particular condition, and things were not going to get better in the wake of that invisibility. His last movie is one that I will quote here at the end of the Different Drummer segment, a movie called Blue, where when he realized he was losing his eyesight... Uh, turned instead to his words and using primarily his voice with a film that's more than an hour long where the visuals are simply a blue screen and him talking about his thoughts, his writings, his verse, dealing with the problem of having AIDS, being in a fairly advanced stage with the disease and knowing that he was probably going to lose his sight and not recover. And how do you be a painter or a filmmaker or any other sort of visual artist after having lost your sight. A while back, I hit one of the Inappropriate Conversations Points and Questions podcasts where Michael J. Fox was the different drummer. And in there, I kind of noted, just kind of casually, that you could understand why Fox, trying to get movie roles and continue his career as an actor, why he might conceal for a period of more than just a half dozen years 
a diagnosis of early-onset Parkinson's, and continued to work without making much of a public statement about the disease until it became the point where it was so obvious he didn't really have any options. Contrast that with German's approach with HIV, where he very quickly went from diagnosis to being very public about it. Public enough that perhaps he could cast a light on the issue, or perhaps public enough that he could cast a shadow behind him that people who needed to be concealed or protected from the glare could get that protection. By all accounts, a brave move. But I want to speak about German primarily as a filmmaker. I had picked him for an episode dealing with questions that I had, things I did not understand and do not, on some level, understand about homosexuality because he was both an outspoken proponent of gay rights and a film director. So, what is my relationship with the films of Derek Jarman? You can understand why him getting bumped from a topic meant for him left him off the list for so long. And here he is in an episode that's pretty close to being one of those feedback-type shows where the entire episode is not built around a direct tie-in to German as a different drummer. Well, part of the issue is that of the feature films that he's made, I haven't really seen that many. I've seen Jubilee all the way through, his second film from 1977. have not seen the previous, his original feature-length film, Sebastian, at all. I have an, owned a copy on Laserdisc of The Last of England, have not seen it all the way through end-to-end. I find the movie to be tough-going. We'll get here in a minute to why I think that's actually a compliment. And then I have read the screenplay just in the last few weeks of Blue, his last film, being frustrated by my inability to find a handy, accessible copy of the DVD. I could uh, jostle a Netflix DVD queue and have it come to me in the mail, but I didn't do that in a timely fashion, so that option wasn't available. And other options in terms of watching it via Amazon Prime didn't seem to work. YouTube had uh, had pieces and parts cut up, you know, like the way YouTube will often do, where to see it all you have to do it in chunks, and you have to find all of those chunks that someone else has shared online. So I chose instead to read the screenplay and then put that together with a few clips to get a sense of of not just how it read, but how it sounded. But for a dozen or more movies, that's that's it. One I've seen, one I've read, and one I own and want to see, but just haven't gotten around to yet after something like two decades. The Last of England was released in 1988. I probably bought it in the middle of the 90s, so no more than a decade later. And I've had it all this time. I've had it in a format that I've had to figure out whether I can continue to own and sustain, and the answer seems to be no to that. But I also think that looking at feature-length films by German is a little bit of a disservice, because a lot of what made him such an inspirational filmmaker was short form. He is well-known for music videos he did over the years for groups like Pet Shop Boys, and The Smiths, Bob Geldof, and others. And he also, using 8mm as a film media, had done a lot with short films and very sort of uh, you know, experimental filmmaking from the very beginning, going all the way back to maybe 1971. I view German as an experimental filmmaker and esteem him in that context. And it really is hard to look at any of his movies, save maybe Caravaggio or Wittgenstein, and come away with the conclusion that his filmmaking is anything other than experimental. Uh, War Requiem, the soundtrack is the music behind that, and it's essentially, more or less, a silent film from that perspective, but so much more because the music isn't background, the music is in many ways foreground. 
And the last of England, of course, being a political diatribe, a polemic, if you will, about the Thatcher era in, in England, making it very much in sync with the tone and the vibe of inappropriate conversations. I'd say that's also true when you look at Jarman's last work, as if it were a nostalgia piece. I found Blue the screenplay at a website called queerculturalcenter.org slash pages slash Jarman. You can find it from there. But in the midst of that screenplay, which again probably doesn't do justice to the voice, we don't think of Jarman as being a performer in the strictest sense or even an actor, but he has a uh, he has a very good and distinct speaking voice, which while he was losing his sight and struggling with that, he still had a voice and was willing to use it. From near the end of Blue, this paragraph caught my eye. Jarman says this, I caught myself looking at shoes in a shop window. I thought of going in and buying a pair, but stopped myself. The shoes I am wearing at the moment should be sufficient to walk me out of life. If Inappropriate Conversations is about nostalgia, and not just the intersection of politics, religion, sex, drugs, rock and roll, other not-for-dinner topics, then this particular quote from this particular film, Blue, is a pretty good example of someone who was able to use moments of nostalgia to pull all of those things together. There is whimsy but appropriate moments of rage in his writing as he realizes he's about to walk out of this life. And uh, I'm a little bit sorry that circumstances played the way they did. The death of Dee Dee Allen, for example, threw off my schedule and left Derek German off the list all the way to this point. But I can honestly say that every different drummer the rest of the way on Inappropriate Conversations is not a different drummer that was penciled in as part of the first 115 or so. And now that I've finally done right by citing German, I feel pretty good about whatever unpredictable things may happen on the different drummer segments going forward. So if that closes out 2010, I want to talk about 2011 and kind of make a quick, you know, kind of point that episodes 41 with Tony Pucci as a different drummer, episode 42 with Dan Carlin as a different drummer, really put me at places where I was pretty pleased with the different drummer segments and the experience of preparing and recording those segments right on either side of New Year's Day 2011. But the first episode I want to cite from 2011 is uh, is not one for the different drummer, necessarily. It's one that I would describe as kind of almost a, an essay and a highlight. I've picked it as the highlight, and it may be the episode from 2011 that I refer to the most often. It was the first time I made a recording looking at intersexual friendship, and I named it Sacred Friendship. And I told some stories in maybe a really straightforward way that I have hit later in subsequent recordings of both Inappropriate Conversations and Walk the Earth in perhaps a less straightforward, maybe more more of a spiritual perspective. But to me, that makes this episode kind of foundational. And I will always think of the stories that I shared on that particular episode as a highlight, not just of 2011, but of the entire series. The different drummer I'd like to call out from the second year is Stanley Kaufman. I saved the film critic for The New Republic for episode number 50. And what it meant was that when I got to episode 50, episode 50 was going to have to be about film. 
there was going to have to be about movies. And I named it something about, you know, movies being the most significant art form of the past 100 years. I still feel that way. This was also not far away from being an anniversary show. It was released in the middle of March 2011, meaning that from March to March in 2010 and 11, I had 48 shows recorded in those 52 calendar weeks. And just a couple of weeks later, I got to episode 50. Two things I used when talking about movies for that episode. One is a tie-out to the Simply Syndicated forum, because I don't believe this idea was mine originally. I think it was something that was done as an interactive game, kind of a participatory thing, on the forums that uh, Simply Syndicated used to have. Now, simplysyndicated.com is still a very important part of what I consume from a podcast perspective. The forum's, of course, now long gone. But one year I do remember there being somebody who put up something in terms of a list of years and trying to pick your favorite movie from those years. And uh, I don't know whether the original idea covered almost 100 years of cinema, but that's where I took it. I opened up what I think was actually a Word document rather than a spreadsheet and just wrote down every every year and wrote down what I thought my favorite movie or movies in some cases were of every single one of those years. I will confess that there are some years where I was at the time drawing a blank. And there may still be some years where I don't think I've seen a movie that I feel strongly about. When you're talking about the 1920s and early 30s, you're talking about a, a form of cinema that isn't always easy to find. I, how long does it take to, to be confident that you've seen enough of the movies of 1927 to have a really strong opinion about that year in cinema? So there were some years where I didn't really have a point of view. But having gone through the process of participating in an online conversation and making those notes really helped me talk about a 100 years of cinema from that perspective. The other thing I used to drive episode 50, and which makes it, makes it not just a different drummer call-out, but in some ways a bit of a highlight for me, was it gave me the opportunity to share what is one of my concepts. And it's a concept I call Better Pictures. The Academy Awards uh, were just this past weekend as I'm recording here in 2018. And it always dawns on me when I'm watching a, a, a best picture kind of a situation that there is this idea out there of better pictures. What I mean by that is these are the movies which are either the runner-up to that one, the best picture is truly conferred in a way that makes sense, or sometimes better can be used in a different sense to say, hey, this movie may have just won best picture, but I think this one is better than that. So two different ways of thinking of the concept of better pictures. And what I did for that is I took every year from 1939 where my anchor was The Wizard of Oz, to 1993, where my anchor was Schindler's List. And for every year in between those those two spans, I made a specific note of what I thought the better picture was. And that also gave me fodder to talk about movies from an historic perspective in Inappropriate Conversations number 50. In the very first year, maybe in the, the fifth episode of Inappropriate Conversations, I talked about a chapter, not all of a chapter, but most of a chapter, from a novella that I'd written called Selective Perception, a neo-surrealist long form of short story. The idea behind that was coming up with a Linton writing experiment of having 40 completely different styles of writing, everything from poetry and prose, but also uh, recipes, grocery lists, dialogue, music lyrics, and putting that together to where the notion was over the course of 40 days during Lent, you're, you're writing a little bit every day and you're changing styles every time. And when I get to um, the second year, 2011, and Inappropriate Conversations number 52, intended to be released on April Fool's Day, might have been released slightly before or slightly after. It's hard to 
hit the mark sometimes when you're trying to do something in alignment with a holiday. But I also went back to that particular set of writings and a different chapter in that short story with some first-person comedy. I am still pleased, maybe not with the delivery. I'm not a stand-up comedian and should not pretend to be. But with the writing itself, I've felt pretty good about it. This is one of the more humorous experiences of my life, going back to like that freshman year in college and relating that story from the perspective of of comedy in the first person. So that would be the poetry and prose entry. I'd like to end 2011 with a focus on essay. A good handful of times in 2011, I looked at the issue of abortion from different perspectives and in different ways. I believe it's five episodes. It could be more than five episodes, but I'm going to name five and work back from the end of the year to the two episodes back-to-back that I want to cite as my essay episode of 2011. I talked about adoption as heroism, also an essay episode, in Inappropriate Conversations 74 from November of that year. A month earlier, in episode 72, October, I hit Truth or Consequences for Christians. I would hit this topic of Christians who lie more times in future years, but this one was lies with a specific focus on lies told within the context of pro-life politics by self-proclaimed Christians. In September, I hit uh, some talk among other topics related to Puritans and some of our false notions about the Puritans in Inappropriate Conversation 69, which I think I jokingly called 69 Reasons We Shouldn't Trust Our Pure View of the Puritans. There weren't 69 of them, but there were more than just a couple, and abortion was among them. But really, I set down my marker about my point of view about abortion as an episode uh, in a back-to-back one coming out in June of 2011, Inappropriate Conversations 59 and 60. These were in many ways answers to questions I'd raised in 2010, the very first year, with, I believe, episode 36, Misconceptions About Abortion, pun intended. But here, 59 and 60, I answer it with a, a genuine essay episode. Half of them told in the first, the other half told in the second, and I title them, as you'd expect, 10 Areas of Agreement About Abortion, Part 1 and Part 2. Many years have gone by since I recorded that episode. Many years before uh, had gone by since I'd written the original essay. I have shared this on many occasions with friends and family. I'm still yet to think, think, think there's any reason why I should deviate from the course, from the worldview that's covered inside that two-part episode. Inappropriate Conversations year 2012 is, I'm going to have to confess, probably my favorite year in the history of the show. Seems weird. Here we are in 2018. I'm looking back six years, and I'm still looking back fondly across those years at that particular season. I don't know how much I want to trust the Google Analytics on this, but I did do a comprehensive end-to-end search From the point that I originally began using Google Analytics, which doesn't take you back to 2010, but I believe in 2012 I was using the tool and I was tagged appropriately and everything was working the way it should. And got to say, I'm a little bit curious as to the numbers for 2012 not necessarily being, well, not, not being any higher than they were in the years that followed immediately after. I wouldn't describe 2012 for listenership as being the high watermark of inappropriate conversations, and yet it still has a lot of my favorite moments. The year began pretty early with episodes 79, 80, and 81 back-to-back. The first two of those, in fact, later on, episode 90, 79, 80, and 90, would pick up on that sacred friendship idea that I introduced 
in the very first, uh, well, actually the beginning of 2011, the first calendar year of this podcast with episode number 44. But in 79, I went back to high school. In 80, I extended that into college. And in 90, I kind of mopped up all of the details in between. Not the first time, obviously, that I talked about sacred friendship or intersexual friendship. And it still wouldn't be the last. But I'm not 100% sure I've hit it any better, at least not from an inappropriate conversations perspective, than I did in number 80. 81, while I'm not going to call it out as a highlight, so easily could be. And it tells you a little bit about my feelings for and the strength of some of these shows going back to 2012. 81 was a Valentine's Day episode, February of that particular year. And for that, I basically was talking about singing a song for lovers. And the highlight for me was really right at the beginning of the episode, or very near the beginning of the episode, me and two friends of mine, Karen from the U.S. and Laura from the U.K., did a group reading of, in its entirety, Song of Songs, or Song of Solomon, depending on how you decide you want to name that particular book in the Old Testament. And it was really a delight. The most complicated edit that I had done in any of the first 81 shows uh, that I'd edited. And I think anybody who's done podcasting before and done, and done it in a DIY kind of a way will let, will say there's a consensus that the hardest part is really probably the editing. This one was particularly challenging because it was merging three files recorded in three different places by three different voices to cover scripture accurately and in, and in its entirety. And my experience level wasn't really all that high back then, but the effort was well, well worth it. So if those aren't the uh, particular shows in 2012 that I want to call out from the perspective of poetry or essays or different drummer or even just what was the highlight, what was the pinnacle of that year, well, maybe I should go to those. The Different Drummer first, Inappropriate Conversations 87, released in April of of that year. I believe it was recorded either right before or right after I went on a on a vacation to Hawaii, maybe recorded before and released during that vacation in Hawaii. And the real point of it all for me was getting around to naming Mark E. Smith the uh, leader of the fall as a different drummer. I mean, really not just the lead singer of the fall, the leader in every way of that band that has been together in one form or another since at least 1977 and recorded albums as recently as last year. And the reason that I, I wanted to cite him here was that Mark E. Smith died here recently. And I really believe there's not going to be another popular musician. And maybe you put popular in air quotes. The Fall was certainly not um, a top 40 kind of a band. But I don't believe there's going to be anybody else in the music industry today, any modern music figure, whose death is going to hit me as hard as Mark E. Smith. I was on board from the very first album, Live at the Witch Trials. In fact, at a time when I didn't even know whether that was actually the first album or not, I probably spent the better part of a decade wondering what the album before that one was, because back before the internet, 19, again, probably 1980, 81, somewhere in there, 82 at the latest, I picked up that album. And you just didn't have the ability to get that kind of quality biographical information about a band as arguably niche as The Fall. But um, to me, Marky e. Smith, great example of a different drummer, somebody who marches to his own beat, does it his own way, and at times didn't seem to care if anybody else was listening. From a poetry and prose perspective, I'll always have a soft spot for Inappropriate Conversations number 93. There's many reasons for it. First, I shared a couple of pieces of my own poetry on that show, 
And so it might have been one of the first poetry shows that included me. I, I shared words per minute, for example, um, as one of the, one of the older poems that I brought up and, and read through in the course of that. My daughter and I shared a moment of a, of a shared reading of Stop the Bleeding, another one of my poems. But another reason that that poetry prose episode I think is important for me is that it was one of the first direct points of interaction between me and the podcast Greetings from Nowhere. Now, Greetings from Nowhere spent the better part of the last year or so discontinued, appearing really maybe only once during the last, again, year or so for a reunion to do a live broadcast on Pride 48 that, because, again, they discontinued, wasn't even available on their feed. It came out on the Seder Sphere feed. But that's kind of you know, greetings from nowhere. They're back now doing episodes, maybe at that, uh, less at that hard to sustain weekly clip and more once or twice a month. And they will be at Pride 48 this year in New Orleans. This year, Pride 48 in New Orleans, last week of August. More information about that is available at pride48.com. Leaving the poetry and prose behind for now, the essay, and more of a, less of an essay and more of a sermon presented in church and then represented here on Inappropriate Conversations. Uh, episode 97, I think, came out in August of 2012. Any one of us is not all of us. I think I might have even called it just anyone being ashamed. And it wasn't the first time that I shared a sermon on the podcast, but I feel like it's still one of the best, both in terms of the quality of the material um, and the depth of the material, but also I think the presentation went pretty well, as I recall. Well, what's the highlight? I mentioned earlier, episode 81, Valentine's Day, and obviously in the month of September, I was going to inevitably hit 100. If 97 came out in August, 100 was going to come out in September, and that was a milestone. And for anybody who's heard me talk about it before, it's it's not a bad, again, not a bad place to, to hear the history of this show. This is an eight-year look back, not a history. I don't need to repeat myself. Uh, those origin stories are covered pretty well in episode 100. But to me, the highlight has become uh, Inappropriate Conversations number 106, released in very early December of that year. The target had been actually late November to tie in to Harvey Milk, who was the different drummer. I called it The Violence of Denial. It's a longer than average episode, uh, clocking in probably closer to an hour and a half than an hour. But I felt it was very important that I take a former different drummer to task, sharing some of the thoughts that he had related on at least four different podcast episodes and refuting his claims about God's design and gender and sexual orientation and other things. And referring to it, I think, quite appropriately as the violence of denial. That when you deny that someone is who they say they are, you're actually committing an act of annihilation against them. And I refute John Eldridge's points from his podcast in a very thorough and detailed way, including moments along the way of openly musing about whether or not we should all stop, feel pity, and say a prayer for the wives of these men who seem to have such an insufficient understanding of human sexuality that it would not be beyond the realm of possibility that they, like Pat Robertson, um, are married to women who have never actually experienced orgasm within their most intimate of relationships. I suggest that because Pat Robertson on his 700 Club TV show a couple years ago openly said that he didn't think women were even possible. It was even possible for a woman to experience sexual pleasure. Not even recognizing the irony 
of him being a man who'd been married to a woman for many, many years, openly suggesting that her experiencing orgasm was some kind of a medical impossibility. That is just one of the moments from Inappropriate Conversations 106, very early December of 2012, coming near the end and really providing a real highlight at that, again, close to the end of that year, still remains my favorite year in the history of the show. Hi, this is Will Tristrummer for Those About to Rock, saying that if you like to listen to three guys break it down and talk about the seminal heavy metal albums of our time, go to simplesyndicated.com. You won't find it there, but, you know, we try our best. It's becoming more difficult over the years to share clips and uh, promos from other shows, shows that I love and admire and remember fondly and in some cases still listen to, even after they've been defunct. There's always that hope that a podcast like Readings from Nowhere will return, as it has, and hopes that other shows may come back from their dormancy as well. A couple of uh, podcasts that come to mind that I hope we haven't heard the last of, The Satyr's Fear, also like Greetings from Nowhere, available uh, through Pride 48. Uh, the Walk the Earth podcast has appeared on Pride 48. I'll talk about that in a little bit. And I consider inappropriate conversations to be affiliated or at the very least adjacent to Pride 48 as well. When you look back as far as um, Simply Syndicated, and many of those promos are for shows that don't exist anymore. For those about to rock, I like to think that the show itself still exists, even if the format has changed dramatically lately. Uh, Will's voice and very solid hard rock and metal music can still be heard from time to time on the podcast for those about to rock, available through simplysyndicated.com. For me, the year 2013 began right off the bat with uh, early episodes that featured both an essay and what I'm going to call the highlight of the year. The essay from late January was saying no to myself. And in that essay episode, I explored the concept of, uh, well, another Linton writing experiment that I'd done called Letters to Myself. The idea was picking key emotional relationships over my life and writing a letter that would never be sent from me to that person or to my remembrance of that person. I didn't get all the way through 40 of those letters, and I still have to this day felt very comfortable saying this was a writing project that should not be shared. But I did share pieces of it, a little bit of the introduction, for example, to explain kind of the concept itself, because I wanted to pick sections from a, from two or three of them and talk about the idea of what it means to say no to yourself in terms of uh, dealing with or addressing sexual temptation. So um, a somewhat risky, a.k.a. brave kind of an episode, very early in 2013. That was uh, Inappropriate Conversations 112. The very next episode, coming out in February of that year, number 113, Raised on Robbery, or What I Learned from the Barrel of a Gun. And I'm calling that the highlight of the year 2013. It was not that there weren't other shows that I feel real strongly about, but it's one of the ones that I, I think, when I look back on that year in totality, that's the one that I kind of point to. Sadly, part of the reason I feel that way is that before I got into my own experience of being the victim of an armed robbery, I talked a little bit about what had happened just a few weeks earlier in Connecticut with children being fatal victims of school-related gun violence. I addressed what, from my perspective, was the answer to whether we should arm teachers. And if you're curious about how that played out and how I connected it to the topic of that particular show, it's available on the feed at inappropriateconversations.org. Uh, number 113 was released in February of 2013. 
Uh, a close runner-up for the essay entry came out in April of that year, a two-parter, one called Original Ideas, the other called Where Would I Be Without God? Part of the reason I'm not citing it here is that it was originally, and almost in some cases verbatim, writing shared on the forum at simplysyndicated.com. It felt like for a lot of people who've known me in that capacity as, as a part of the Simply Syndicated community, it would have been a repeat. It wouldn't have been terribly original. The poetry episode from 2013 um, came in June, right around the time that uh, class reunions would be popping up. My high school's done a very interesting thing, and I haven't participated in one of these reunions since the 10th, but they don't necessarily feel like they've got to stick with base 5 or base 10. Uh, they will have a 36th reunion, you know. They don't really care. And I'm delighted to see that, that some of those folks are still uh, able to get together and, more importantly, willing to get together. On this poetry and prose episode, Inappropriate Conversations 122, I shared in an essay called Past Tense, an actual uh, kind of remembrance of the reunion that I did attend, the one I went to. But I really cited this one more for poetry and a poem I shared called Disappear Here. One of the things I've done with SoundCloud, even in situations where I haven't necessarily kept up with the pace I intend on pulling uh, kind of callbacks and flashbacks to old inappropriate conversation shows is where I have shared a complete work, a poem like Disappear Here. I see underscore Greg on SoundCloud.com maybe a place where you could find just that poem. If it's my own work, I may have pulled it. In fact, I I know in this case I did pull it and create just a smaller uh, SoundCloud post of just the poem. 2013 is interesting for another reason. It's the year that Walk the Earth as a podcast began. So somewhere around the months of late April and May, I left the church that my family had attended for the better part of 15 years, and we went on a, a full-scale church search. Begin documenting that a few months later, you know, mid-August, maybe early August of that year, after we'd had a few of those church visits uh, behind us, and questions were beginning to get raised, and I felt like I needed to address those questions somewhat more formally. It didn't fit in the uh, shape of an inappropriate conversations podcast. So I started Walk the Earth and embedded it right there on the same website and on the same RSS feed. A little later, the different drummer that I want to cite comes from a two-part episode, late November, early December of 2013, where Walk the Earth 6 deals with the issue of, of gender roles within the church and inappropriate conversations number 134, uh, probably that very next week, was looking at gender segregation as a topic, my different drummer there was Mary of Magdala. And I feel pretty good about that episode as well, in terms of taking a look both historically and scripturally at the mistakes we make when we make certain assumptions about biblical figures. And in some cases, biblical figures where popes themselves have told outright intentional lies about them, besmirching their character along the way. I am now at what I would have to acknowledge as almost a monthly sort of a pace. It's not regular enough to be called monthly. And only really in the first year or two was it regular enough then to be called weekly. But the uh, the overall throughput is somewhat more diminished here beginning around 2014. I still was able successfully to find poetry, prose, essay, different drummer, and highlights from each one of these years. And for 2014, the poetry and prose episode was number 144. I called it The Death of the Author. The short story I shared there was actually originally called Authorial Intent. 
That came out in late May of 2014. 146, a couple of episodes later, another one of these um, essays written for the purpose of sharing before a congregation, whether it be a, a, a small group session or a seminar or actually in church, the idea of Christ is what I called that one, that one from July. The different drummer I'd like to call out from 2014 was uh, Amir Thompson. Questlove was the different drummer for Inappropriate Conversations 149 called Truly Respecting Elders. And it was a bit of a two-parter in some ways because the episode before it, 148, I believe called Freedom of Song, was looking at uh, record labels, uh, the Parents Music Resource Center, uh, the controversy over that, album banning, other kinds of issues related to music. But really, from the perspective of citing Questlove as a different drummer, my goal was actually less about calling him out for... Uh, music or lyrics or anything of that nature, and more, an essay he had written about the experience of being black in America and constantly under suspicion. I shared pieces and parts of that, and if you think back to things that were happening in our society in 2014, it's not hard to figure out why uh, he might have been the right topic for that particular moment, uh, especially on the basis of that essay. I don't want to call out a favorite of all time from an Inappropriate Conversations perspective, but when I get to Inappropriate Conversations 150, opening the scriptures, the original release September of 2014, when I get around to trying to SoundCloud clip that one, I actually have no idea what I'm going to do. It is the single longest podcast episode I've ever recorded. It is among, although not quite, the longest podcast episode I've ever listened to, and it answers the question of whether or not I can be accused of selectively quoting scripture out of context. The answer is absolutely not. As I get to the year 2015, it occurs to me that this entire process, picking four different elements a year, is going to create dozens of recommendations, and to be honest, that was kind of the goal. Again, 207 episodes now, a very daunting back catalog, and most of the shows are standalone. This isn't like a, a modern TV drama where there's a through line and you almost have to start at the beginning to be able to follow it. I don't have such a through line. The other thing I've done by trying to call out the months as I go and not just episode numbers is that the right navigation bar at inappropriateconversations.org also includes a kind of a calendarization of sorts where you can dive in and literally filter against any one month. Because I don't intend to do anything that would remove shows from the website, they're all going to be there, including the ones where the sound quality early on was clearly uh, an experiment I was undertaking in episode release form. 2015 is the first year among the ones that I'm going to cite where I don't have a poetry or prose entry. I don't believe that I can say that I didn't that I'm unhappy with ones I've recorded, that there's not one worth mentioning. I think it actually just turned out to be a year. Partly with a, a you know less frequent release schedule, but also because I'd already shared a lot of the things I wanted to share from the perspective of nonfiction. I just didn't get there in 2015. One of my all-time favorite different drummers, and a different drummer that is probably the least famous of every different drummer I've named, came in 2015. An episode right around Record Store Day in April of that year called Vinyl Box Sets included a reference to a different drummer named Jack Steltzer. I won't spoil it and let the episode speak for itself on what connection this relatively unknown person might have to the topic of Record Store Day and vinyl box sets. 
The essay for me was the very next episode, Inappropriate Conversations 165, uh, May of 2015. I called it Memorial Music, partly because I put it out around the time of Memorial Day, but partly because I was recalling a former blog post from inappropriateconversations.org. It was in some ways a bleed, a reading of a blog post, but it was a reading of a blog post where a lot of that blog post was itself quotations of music lyrics. The theme was, are there songs that I think would be fitting to be played at my funeral? And if so, well, what are those songs? This was an episode about those songs, shared just before Memorial Day in 2015. 2015 is also the year that I went to Pride 48 in Las Vegas that year, uh, bringing with me Walk the Earth and putting a 30-minute show on at that live event. The uh, performance itself, the podcast itself, was in late August. This year, the Pride 48 event in New Orleans will also be in that last weekend of August. The podcast version came out in early September for Walk the Earth 30. It remains for me not just a highlight of the Walk the Earth series, but one of the personal highlights of my experience of podcasting, period. I do talk a little bit about that uh, in a couple of episodes later in, in Inappropriate Conversations, still in September, late September, number 172. I called it Proud to Know You Too. In there, I talk a little bit about the experience of podcasting and being part of the Pride 48 event in, in Las Vegas that year. It's a callback to an episode in 2013 just called Proud to Know You. Uh, Inappropriate Conversations 128, released September of that year, was in some ways talking about the decision to go to a future Pride 48 event. It took a couple of years, but in 2015, I did that. The jury is still a little bit out on my ability to participate this year in 2018, but that is absolutely the plan. Whether there'll be a live recording of either Inappropriate Conversations or Walk the Earth is a different topic for a different day. Right now, I'm simply working on the question of travel plans and available time off. Hey there, Atomic Trivia War fans. This is Jason with a quick blast. What comic strip character is known as Carl Alfred in Sweden and Iron Arm in Italy? If you guessed Popeye, you guessed correctly. What pungent herb does California farmer Chester Aaron grow 87 varieties of, including Creole Red, Spanish Roja, and Asian Tempest? It's not the marijuana, it is garlic. And who was caught stealing 42 times in 1982 to break Ty Cobb's single season record by four? That was Ricky Henderson. Tune in every week to the Atomic Trivia War, a new podcast on Simply Syndicated. Of all the years I'm going to discuss here on this look back across eight years of inappropriate conversations, 2016 might have the fewest episodes in it, or at least the, few, the fewest episodes that I'd chosen to filter against and think about. But uh, nevertheless, there are some highlights there for me. Episode 180 came out in February of 2016. I'm going to cite it for the different drummer. I called the episode Jesus, quote, bubble. And what I was trying to do with the Jesus quote bubble was put the words of self-proclaimed conservative Christians, the religious right, the Tea Party people, into the mouth of Jesus just to see if those words fit in any way whatsoever. And the answer, of course, they don't. But the reason for me this episode being so special is a different drummer being named John Wycliffe. Now, there's a lot of controversial figures in the history of the Protestant movement, and many of them were executed by the Roman Catholic Church and others along the way, because the Protestant movement had many extremely controversial ideas, including the controversial notion that you shouldn't have to learn Latin to read the Bible, 
or Greek or Hebrew or anything else, that the Bible should be translated into a language that the common persons living in that community could understand. John Wycliffe was one of those people, leading the charge to put the Bible into words that your average believer could understand. And the church didn't get a chance to execute Wycliffe during his lifetime. Part of the reason that I really love this figure in church history is what happened to him after his death. The church came along later, realizing that he had created a common English language translation of the Bible, dug up his bones, and burned 200-year-old bones in effigy. That's a different drummer. <laughs> For poetry and prose, a very controversial episode, in my opinion, Inappropriate Conversations number 181, came out in March of 2016. It includes a very ordinary short story and then a somewhat extraordinary short story. I'll focus on the ordinary one to kind of highlight the formalist version of neo-surrealism that I was working in uh, late college and after college. I called the uh, the particular short story part-time. I lead the episode sharing that one, and then later in the episode I get to more adult material. The very next episode is my highlight of the year for 2016. Uh, Inappropriate Conversations 182, released in April, called Murdering Friendship, and dealing with an article from the different drummer of that episode, Mark Green, on why do we murder the beautiful friendships of boys. It's an episode looking at a topic and an article, or several articles by Mark Green, that deal with the question of whether or not homophobia is as damaging and dangerous to heterosexuals as it is to gays and lesbians. And Green makes the argument very, very well. I simply share it with a little bit of my own story in episode 182 of that year. The essay for me came near the end of the year, closer to the election period. Constitutional Crisis is what I named it. It was also a blog reading, a bleed. This one came out September of 2016. And if you wanted to read the essays for yourself, rather than going back and finding a past episode where an essay like that is being read in its entirety, the articles category of the Right Navigation Bar at inappropriateconversations.org is the one that jumps into uh, blog entries rather than podcast episodes. Intro is also a way of, generally speaking, not always, but generally speaking, avoiding podcasts and just getting to uh, announcements of a variety of sorts. That is the year 2016. Because 2018 is only a couple of episodes in, and as I shared in the last recording, not 100% sure I know what the schedule for 2018 is going to look like, 2017 will be the last piece of this particular look back, and once again, it's going to be a year where there won't be an entry for poetry or prose. The essay, early in the year, uh, me trying to find my happy place through the month of January in 2017, was a concept that, that I'd called 100 Ways, and it was that piece that was the centerpiece of the actual episode. John Pavlovitz was the different drummer, but I actually spent most of the time talking about how challenging it can be if someone put a pad of paper and a pen in front of you and said, write down a hundred things that are true and not negative about yourself. It's not always that easy to do. The highlight of the year, um, very difficult for me, was in and around March, uh, my mother dying, having dealt with a lot of... Um, medical issues across several, several years. But for me, I realized at that moment that there were pieces and parts of family history that were well and truly going to be gone forever. That anything that had not been shared or handed down by my father who died decades earlier, or my sister who died right around the first part of 2001, or now my mother, that these 
these pieces of history were going to be gone for good. And in addition to being profoundly sad at my mother's passing, I was also profoundly sad about that particular fact. Lastly, to wrap this up, just to get to a different drummer, uh, because the year 2017 was really kind of interesting. Big chunk of the centerpiece of the year with at least a half dozen episodes being committed to the notion of the sound of protest, the sound of dissent. So a lot of, uh, a lot of music focused episodes, I suppose would be the way I would word that. But on the other side of those music shows, there was a topic that I'd wanted to hit in March of 2017 for March Madness and the period of time when the men's and women's NCAA basketball tournaments are being played that got bumped, both due to an unexpected, well, and not unexpected, but a still sudden funeral in the family. And then by my, uh, my previous plan and really my need to talk about how can we speak about standing up and resisting bad things being done to our country and our society through song, I got around in August of 2017 to the impact that women have made on sports and the impact Title IX had made in paving the way for not just Olympic achievements, but achievements in other sports as well. When you think about the last couple of years, um, the women have done extremely well in yet another Olympic cycle. This has been actually true for at least three Olympic cycles. And this was also a period of time where the women's national soccer team won the World Cup. So I was looking for a way to cite Pat Summit as a different drummer. The obvious way to do it would be to connect her to the achievement of women in sports. And although I regret not being able to get that done during the time that her sport of choice, women's basketball, was having its annual tournament to crown a champion, it worked out just as well to have hit the topic a little bit later. That year ended with some history there, an episode in September looking at questions related to Confederate statues, among other things. And I ended the year in December with a, uh, an essay focused on what might be my favorite film of all time, Reds, naming Diane Keaton as a different drummer, and a show called Revolution as Descent. That episode 204, probably the last traditional, the most recent traditional formatted episode of Inappropriate Conversations, here in 2018, I've hit a nostalgia show looking at the Laserdisc as a format, a Your Points and Questions show just late in February, and here, a retrospective of the entire series of Inappropriate Conversations podcasts. I have one more definite, planned, scheduled, intended episode coming out either later in March or very early in April for the Inappropriate Conversations format. Before that, I hope to get to Walk the Earth 50, and everything after that in 2018 I'm literally making it up as we go. <laughs> so that is 30 specific call-outs with maybe as many as 80 additional mentions of different shows over the history of Inappropriate Conversations, with this the 207th episode that I've recorded. I do look forward later this year to continuing with both Walk the Earth and Inappropriate Conversations, and perhaps, who knows, maybe one of those shows finding its way to Pride 48 in New Orleans, or at the very least, myself in the audience. If you'd like to put some dialogue into this inappropriate conversation, I can be reached at IC underscore Greg at hotmail.com. Inappropriateconversations.org has show notes for each episode I release. Comments can be placed there as well. I've mentioned SoundCloud a couple of times in this episode. IC underscore Greg is how I can be found there. I'm on Twitter also as at IC underscore Greg. The show, Inappropriate Conversations, has a Facebook page listed as a cause, Walk the Earth 
also has a Facebook page. And in addition to being able to find inappropriate conversations as a podcast at places like iTunes and other podcatchers, the show is also available on Stitcher, Stitcher Smart Radio. Thanks for listening, and thanks for eight years. show is a proud member of the pride 48 podcasting network check out other great podcasts at pride 48.com slash shows